Welcome back to Campbell Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell, and today is episode 171 of the podcast. Our conversation today is with Max Dickens. Max is a comedian, a writer, and a mental health advocate, and we are talking about loneliness. Loneliness increases risk of early death by 26%. This risk is comparable with smoking 15 cigarettes a day and is higher than that caused by both obesity and physical inactivity. And it appears that men are suffering worse than ever with loneliness. This is having a negative impact on their partners, their employers, their children, and society as a whole. During the conversation, expect to learn how Max's own experience of having no best man led to him writing Billy No Mates, how men's loneliness differs from female loneliness, men's reliance on their female partners for a social life, the evolutionary explanation for shallower male friendships, and why contributing to their project and doing tasks is crucial for men when it comes to bonding. You will also hear about how opening up differs from the term manning up, the value of friendships at work, and the impact of remote working. I loved this conversation with Max and I loved his book Billy Nomates and I'm sure you will get a lot of value from this conversation too. Today's podcast is sponsored and supported by Propane Fitness. Are you a PT, coach or fitness expert that's looking to move online and increase your income? Johnny and Yusuf from Propane Fitness help personal trainers and coaches to move online, leave the gym floor behind and build a dependable recurring online income. You've heard from both Johnny and Yusuf on the podcast in the past and they have over a decade of experience in the fitness industry. They've helped hundreds of PTs to match their existing income with an online program by learning to sell their expertise and knowledge instead of just their time. They teach coaches a stack of semi-automated systems for marketing, sales, program delivery that they've used themselves while building their own successful coaching business. You can get a free online business blueprint in the link in the bio and a complete explanation of how it all works. The link will be in the description and it's propane.com forward slash cambro. A massive thank you to you for choosing to tune in. If you are new here, hit the subscribe or follow button. The run of guests that I've got during February and March is truly exciting. And I know that a lot of you are enjoying some of the topics that we're bringing up. And this was another topic that I was really keen to bring forward. And being able to have somebody on like Max was tremendously rewarding. And it cannot keep happening unless people like you keep sharing the episodes, pushing your friends to get involved in the listenership and growing that one by one. The music's going to play and you've got just under an hour with myself and Mr. Max Dickens. Max, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Uh, thanks for inviting me on. No problem at all. And I guess the first question for me is, how did you, proposing to your now wife, lead to you writing a book titled Billy No Mates? Um, well, sadly, um, <laughs> this is a true story. I was uh, planning on proposing to Naomi. And I, you know, I went as far as thinking, how am I going to do it? And I asked two female pals come with me to a to a jeweler in Hatton Garden and we looked for a ring finally chose a ring went to the pub and then one of them said to me right so we got the ring let's get into it who's the, who's your best man and I sort of looked at them and you know stuttered and went well I've had a couple of a couple of jars maybe that's why I've gone mind blank so I kind of put off the question went home and thought well I actually better get to the bottom of this who is my best man made this list and it took me far too long than it should have been just think of your friends I looked down the list of top 10 guys and I realized I worked with a lot of them and they'd be a bit weirded out if I said hey want to be my best man and the rest of them I hadn't seen in some cases for two or three years and I, I realized in that moment confronted with needing a best man that my male friendships had pretty much disappeared and I thought how on earth has this happened to me I find it surprising because I think we were laughing before we hit record that you're speaking as a as a very normal guy. It's not like you're you've become lonely off the back of leading a very lonely existence for for a long long period of time. And I guess some of the guys that we would maybe think would be typically lonely wouldn't get into a position where they were likely to be proposing and getting married. But how did you come to that point? What do you think were the factors that were the leading you to a position where you were like, well, I actually don't have that many close guy friends now? Yeah, I mean. Well, to connect to what you, you said first there, I mean, with this idea we have of people who are lonely, are lonely blokes, you know, the weirdo in the school canteen who sat there, he's got beans in his hair, he's reading some fantasy fiction book, never talks to anyone, you know, kind of that guy. And um, or the weirdo in the pub, right, who's just sinking pints, looking off into the middle distance. But actually, 
loneliness looks like me. I'm pretty outgoing bloke, but I'm around fast. Um, it shouldn't be people like me, but if you look at the stats, it has happened to an awful lot of guys. So the odds are that some pretty lonely folks um, are very ordinary. You'd be sat next to them in coffee shops, so you'd have no idea. I think what this connects to is what are we defining as a friend, right? So I didn't realize it had happened to me until I was confronted with literally auditing my social life and going, well, who are the most important people to me? And then going, oh, that cupboard's pretty bare. I was busy. So, you know, busy with work, uh, seeing people through that. I was busy hanging out with my girlfriend's mates, doing family stuff. So it was never I was looking at my diary and it was, you know, a desert, just emptiness. And so I think what I had was a lot of quite superficial um, mateships. You're right. People I call Surface my mate. Level. Yeah. And then when I actually thought about, well, who could I rely on in the best will in the world or who do I feel I really know on a sort of a pretty intimate level? And do they know me? That's when I thought, oh, I don't have any of those people in my life. I have a couple of women, maybe, who I feel like that with, but certainly no blokes. And actually, if you look at the stats around men and friendship, so you kind of have a bit of context is it's getting worse, uh, this stuff. If you, since about the 1970s, when social scientists have been measuring this sort of thing, men have had less friends than women. And then here's a stat from the Survey Center of American Life, 2021. Since 1990, the number of men reporting they had no close friends jumped from 3 to 15%, right? So that's a, a five-fold increase since 1990. So there is a big challenge here. And men will say, if you ask them, I've got mates. But if you say, who could you talk to about a serious thing? Something with a bit of heft, something maybe a bit awkward or embarrassing. That's when they're really struggling to, to think of people. So we have an intimacy, intimacy problem as guys. We can do kind of the matey, bantery friendships really well. And that is really important too. Don't get me wrong. I'm a fan of that. But can we also go up into fourth and fifth gear with our friendships? That's when we seem to struggle. Huge points there. And I think one of the terms you use there around busyness is very important because I think you would automatically assume the connotations of loneliness are solitude not being with anyone at all but in fact you were with lots of different people but you were mentioning the, the male the male contacts that you had were very surface level not particularly deep where you could have a serious conversation where you could say would you like to be my best man and give a speech at my wedding it, it just wouldn't be it wouldn't be right whereas your social life was quite busy through through your through your now wife through your work and it's just a case of, uh, yes, I had connections, but they weren't the kind of connections that I could rely on to have a serious conversation. And like you say, there's more of an intimacy challenge with men than maybe potentially numbers. Yeah, exa exactly that. And I would, you know, if you're listening to this and thinking, hmm, maybe that's me too, there are an awful lot of us. And also I'd ask you to go, how many times have you hung out with the men in your life when it's not around a work thing or a project you're doing or you're going to the gym together, for example. I mean, that's got its place. But I think when you start thinking of it in those terms, then you start to realise that there are different sorts of friendships and you maybe, as an individual, don't have access to some of the deeper ones. You mentioned that men tend to have less friends than women. Why did you find that was the case? So, I mean... This is a really interesting subject, I think, because it gets into the heart of all sorts of things. It gets into the heart about masculinity, what that means. It gets into the heart of evolutionary biology. It gets into um, like the way the world's changed. So this is a big subject. So I, 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 there's kind of three main theories as I laid out there. Uh, well, touching on the first one, I spoke to loads of psychologists. So when I was writing Billy No Mates, I thought, I want to solve this problem for myself, find the best man, work out you know, why do so many men struggle with this? So the first thing I did was I think, well, psychologists seem a sensible people to start with. And they'd all say similar things to me. They say the reason why men have less friendships than women is because we, we put barriers up to intimacy, like we kind of touched on, to close to closeness, to having conversations about, you know, feelings. It's a cliche, but it's kind of true. So what sort of, what are these barriers? Well, 
things like how we use humor like if you watch how men use humor it's quite aggressive like the bants is like knocking people down it's um taking the piss right and i call it the jazz of casual brutality like we don't necessarily mean anything by it but it's kind of this riffing we do off each other and partially that's why men love being friends with men there's a lot of positives to that and in a sense it is a form of intimacy right if you watch men do that to each other it, they have permission from one another they think so it's kind of in itself a sign of closeness whereas a stranger comes along and says the same thing to your mate that you've just said to him you go i'm gonna lap this guy like this Joke, is not yeah. jokes about your weight or jokes about your appearance or something like that if that came from somebody yeah. that wasn't within your kinship then that's a it's a it's a, it's a fight isn't it yeah absolutely so 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 there is kind of a positive to that kind of way of using humor but but often how i express this and how the kind of psychologists would say is that men's friendship problem is really a vulnerability problem and why is it a vulnerability problem is because we are fearful of expressing certain sides of ourselves certain parts of ourselves, and stories and feelings and thoughts we're having because we think it's going to be judged it's going to be shot down we're going to be in some way policed or humiliated now i think we've all had experiences in our childhood as blokes and teen years 20s maybe even now when this happens so we can definitely see it and it's about i would say permissions between us what is allowed to happen here are we allowed to 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 be every different version of ourselves because we're not one dimensional i don't think men are like these bovine people that they're often presented as like the kind of toxic masculinity conversation men are like one thing we're actually very multi-dimensional and when you see a guy in a quieter moment they'll obviously often show you part of themselves that you think well why aren't they showing that when we're with three other guys that so we when we get into groups around men we change how we perform our masculinity so this is kind of the idea is that part of the way we perform being men gets in the way of it and you know, i had it a classic example of it is me and my girlfriend went to a party and I was kind of a bit resistant to some of this stuff because I just thought eh, masculinity feels a bit sort of, you know, fluffy and I didn't, it's not really me. I want to hear about terrible men, toxic men. I'm like, oh, that's Harvey Weinstein, right? It's not me. And then I went to this party and she said on the way back, do you realize that when you're with men, you become a completely different person? Like, you sh your chest comes out, you get much louder, you get much crueler, you sort of, everything is bang, 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 like, you know, like sort of Jimmy Carr putting down the front row in a, in a comedy gig. Um, you start, you sort of won't talk about certain things you like and will sort of play out other things that you don't really like, but you think they'll think you like. I mean, the classic example is like, it's like football, right? <laughs> or whatever, or boxing. Um and she said, like, when you're with me, you're so different. And I don't think you seem like you like men and they pick that up. And maybe that's why you don't have that closeness. And I kind of reflected on it. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of right. Like, Do you feel like you're putting on a little bit of an act in those situations? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the kind of, if, <laughs> kind of a real simple kind of version that I think a lot of people relate to is you're in the back of an Uber right? And suddenly you're like, I'm going into Uber version of myself. Suddenly I like conspiracy theories. <laughs> and, you know, I, sort of, I, I sound pretty posh, right? If I'm in the back of an Uber, I completely sound like I'm from, you know, Walthamstow in East <laughs> I completely, you know, become a sort of a cockney. We, we all perform in different contexts and that's kind of fine. But I think men often around other men have a version of themselves and that kind of gets in the way of really, really connecting. And a lot of men will will confess to this to female friends. And they'll say, that's why a lot of men have close female friends is they can have conversations or they can be a version of themselves. They don't feel they can be with other men. And that is kind of sad, but it's also getting in the way of us transforming our mateships into, into close friendships. Okay, so if, if that's the, the first theory from the, the psychologist you spoke to and it, it comes yeah. to men maybe lacking vulnerability, what was the, the second hypothesis? So the second one 
it comes from an observation that actually is pretty, I think, pretty bulletproof. So I talked to you about men have had a problem with friendship since the 70s. It seems to have got much worse since the early 90s, for whatever reason. We can, you know, we're kind of speculating about it now. But if you're going to blame it on like masculine norms and, you know, vulnerability, the V word, as gooey as that is, you can't argue that over the last 30, 40 years, we haven't become better at that. And men are becoming, you know, you know, cliche word, but softer versions of that kind of archetype, that stereotype. And yet the problem hasn't got better. We haven't solved the problem. So it can't just be that. Otherwise, we'd all be laughing. We'd all be sort of running around hugging each other all, all day. Okay. So feels like something else is going on. And actually, I spoke to um, the kind of world expert on the more evolutionary ang angle of friendships. There's a bloke called Dr. Robin Dunbar. He's a great guy. He's done a lot of research around comparing the male and female social worlds. And what he discovered uh, actually adds another sort of angle on this conversation. So the, again, these are averages, not all men and women are the same, but the classically the fe female friendships operate very much on a face-to-face -face basis. Women generally prefer to socialize in pairs. Uh, a lot of it's around talk, uh, emotional disclosure, um, who the other person is as a person, that's really important. Whereas men, if you look at how men socialize, it's generally shoulder to shoulder, side by side, if you like. It's based around sharing space, sharing activities, doing stuff together. And also uh, the kind of the model is the club. So it's less about who you are as a person that's important is, are you part of the club or however we define that? And it, you, you can see this yourself in the pub. You don't need to read the signs. Just see how men sit next to each other in the pub. They're almost at right angles. No one quite looks at each other. It kind of says how we do it. And we don't think about it. It just happens. Now, the reason why this is sort of relevant to friendships is that Dunbar says, you, know, you, can, you can talk about masculine norms till you're blue in the face. He said, fundamentally, men and women have different preferences in friendships. So what closeness looks like is different between them. So where women closeness often from sharing stuff about themselves around talk, Men is much more of an active form of, of intimacy. And, and we have different skills and natural temperaments in it that may block us off from having the closer friendships. Something to connect here is if you think about male friendships are really driven around doing stuff in groups, doing stuff where you're sharing activities, you know, sharing projects, doing things together. Think about what happens when you turn 30. So for both sexes, our social life peaks when we're late teens, early 20s, and it gets smaller, uh, as is life. Why? We have less time, and time is the number one factor in our friendships. They're very time expensive. But men suffer that shrinkage a lot more than women, um, and it becomes more acute when we sort of hit 30-ish. What happens? We tend to get serious relationships, might have kids, you know, really career is taking off. You're putting a lot of effort into that. Time goes down. We have less time to socialize in groups, in activities. If you ever tried to get a group of blokes together to go away on a trip, it's an absolute nightmare because everyone's busy. So if that's how men prepare to socialize and they've got less time to do it, that would also explain why men have less friendships than women. And then there's also this kind of an idea. I appreciate it. This is an incredibly long answer to your question. Um, there's also this idea that how we define what intimacy is in the modern world has become very feminine in how we talk about it or even think of it. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that you said amongst that there, Max, which I thought was incredibly valuable, was that there's a shrinkage of friendships as you get older, and that's albeit natural, just based on society, time, like our, 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 our own diaries. But you said that women experience less shrinkage 
do you know what women are doing that's allowing them to maintain more friendships during this period, whereas men are seeing a bigger drop off? I, I, I guess one like kind of bro science theory that comes immediately to mind for me is that men are maybe leaving some of the team sports or team activities they were doing previously as they get to 30 maybe because if they got less time they maybe don't go and play football they maybe don't go and play golf on a saturday as often they've just not got the opportunity to meet up with their friends as much as they previously did whereas i don't know what the what the women are doing to to, to maintain them their friendships i mean that's that's um i think the bro science is pretty close um and so uh, as i as i sort of touched on if your friendships are based around talk and you'll happily have a coffee, you'll happily talk on the phone. It's really interesting if you look at the research around, uh, we kind of know this from being alive, but also in our own experience, that men's friendships just do not work on the phone. Men don't talk to each other on the phone. It makes, if you look at a longitudinal study, so how do you maintain friendships over time? Talking on the phone makes zero difference to men's friendships. It does work for women's. So suddenly it's a bit easy to maintain friendships. They're kind of, um less time intensive you could argue but also here's where everything interacts so i said there was kind of a modern gender norms masculinity argument and there's the biology evolutionary this goes way back into our past argument women also put way more effort into it right if like um it, it's like my my wife is unbelievable she's got like 15 plates spinning and she can keep them, she runs around just kind of keeping them moving. And she's going to go, oh, I haven't spoken to Jane for two weeks. I'm going to call her now. She's, call, she's calling her now when she's walking to the shops. Oh, I've got to organise a weekend away with um, Sophie and Philippa because, uh, oh, we, we, we said we'd do it and we never did it. I'm going to organise it. Um, texting people, checking in, uh, running up, driving to Oxford to have a coffee. It's like, what? Amazing amounts of effort. Whereas men do not do this i that they'll generally outsource that work to the women in their lives so i kind of I always joke the women are like the hr department for men like they're sort of head of people operations but we don't do that work so that's another reason why they get less as we get older you also wrote about how reliant men are for their partners and their girlfriends, their fiancés and their wives for their social circle. And that was certainly the case with you because you weren't lone, you weren't necessarily lonely in terms of company, but you just lacking male friends because you were associating with your wife's friends and maybe the partners of your of your wife's friends as well. Mm. Why is it that men are so reliant on on women to 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 like keep their social circle going? Is it just because we won't put in the effort as you're saying? Um I think we we're not good at being proactive. And so what happens is we fall in a pattern where if we're you know, in a straight relationship, our, our girlfriend takes over running the social side and it just becomes easier. And before it's too long, kind of your your friends are her friends sort of thing. I think also we become reliant because of, you know, we talked about if men haven't got those opportunities to have certain sorts of conversations with men in their lives, they're putting it all onto women. So they become reliant in that sense, reliant in simply the women are the switchboard sense, putting things together. Um, and it's, it, the sort of reliance is not just on socially, it's also just um, men will often be in a, in a sort of relationship with their spouse or with their girlfriend where she's like remembering everything about his friends too. Like, oh, Will's just had a baby. Have you sent a gift? And the man will be like, are we meant to send gifts? Yes, everyone sends a gift. Like, if you want to have friends, you've got to do little things like that. Have you sent a Christmas card to so-and-so? Have you bought your, your mum a birthday break? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of that going on. So I think we can, as fellas, get a lot better at managing that kind of mental load of this stuff and being proactive. And actually, that was, for me, the, the one of the biggest things that made the difference in terms of changing this for myself was being much more front-footed of course if men in relationships experience bigger shrinkage because they are become so reliant on their female partners do single men experience slightly less shrinkage and i know shrinkage is a funny term when we're talking about uh, about, about men but it, it it's definitely relevant for this conversation do, do you think single men experience slightly less shrinkage because they don't have somebody to be reliant upon do they have to take more ownership or are they just in the same bucket of just all oh, right i'm i'm lonely too 
So, I mean, that's a really good question. And um, there is quite a lot of research around single men and single women. Um, and actually, it's it's really on the rise, the number of people who are just deciding they're not going to have a partner, they are going to you know, live single, and, and it's really a bigger, bigger part of the population, people choosing to do that. People who live by themselves or choose that single path generally are not lonelier than people in uh, relationships because they have to be more organized, more front-footed, and they probably do have a bit more time for friendships. But there is kind of a cutoff point here, whereas if you look at slightly older men, there is definitely a big a big premium on male loneliness if they're single. So uh, unmarried men are way lonelier than unmarried women. It's a really clear stat. So men, it seems, are very reliant on women. And when they don't have a woman in their life, that their social world is much less um, kind of connected. And actually, if you look at the, the research around things like when men get divorced or someone, you know, bereavement, spouse dies or they retire and they leave the kind of institutions where all their relationships are attached to, they're kind of cut off and untethered. Um, so that is definitely a problem for single blokes. Yeah. One of the most interesting things uh, among what we've spoken about so far as well is you, you said men's inclination towards like activity or like doing things based hobbies. And I appreciate you worked a lot through Dunbar's work to, to understand why that was the case as well. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the kind of the origin of the the theory behind why this is the case, I think we see it as the case. I certainly connected to it. And the thing I missed a lot for my friendships was not just the, the guys. It was actually where we were hanging out before. Like it was organized sport. It was, um, you know, stuff we did, stuff we did at uni. Um, but the kind of the origin is it of this all is that in our evolutionary past, the friends of men and women provided a different role. So women's friends, essentially, you needed help in childcare and child rearing. So you'd really want to trust that person to look after your very precious baby. So there would be a lot of really uncovering that person getting super close. Whereas guys were generally in the hunting packs going out doing that job for the village or the, in the military side of it, literally in groups, you know, battalions of soldiers, however you want to explain that going out. So what kind of relationship would suit blokes or well, basically quite casual, superficial, quite interchangeable, quite club like, um, very, very permissive with very little demands on them. There's an amazing study um, from the Netherlands that I found and I read um, and it, it was about men's friendships and it was called, I don't like you, but who cares? Generally, like a lot of men will be quite happily hang out, be friends with blokes for ages. They don't really like, because that's fine, isn't it? We just sort of muddle along. So those are kind of the evolutionary origins of it. And it kind of, we inherit that and don't realise it. But that's why I think activities and sharing space and doing things in groups is quite inbuilt to guys. There's a big element of like, are they competent to stand beside me in battle or to go and hunt this woolly mam mammoth, I suppose, but not do I actually get on well with them at all. It's more based on like, are they good to be around in this particular setting for this particular task that we're about to undertake? Yeah, there's, there is there is definitely that like kind of competence is, in, is important. There's a research by Joyce Benenson, who's an evolutionary psychologist, who's kind of looked at that side of things. I mean, there's so many studies of this. I mean, there's an interesting one from college campuses in the States where they looked at, obviously, when you join a college, you don't share a room with a member of the opposite sex because guess what might happen? You kind of share with the same sex. And they kind of, at the end of the year, would ask people, like, how do you rate your roommate? And both men and women would go, oh, they're, they're terrible. You know, they stink. They're coming back late. They vomit all the time. <laughs> You know, got bad breath. They're really rude. Like all these things. But then, if you look at who asked to move rooms, women are like a huge factor more are asking to swap and go in a different kind of pairing. Whereas blokes are like, yeah, we'll just get on with it. I suppose you know, it's fine. It's kind of built for <laughs> built for comfort. I would say male friendships. It's, that's kind of what it is. It's kind of let's keep it easy. Let's muddle through it. And that has strengths as well. I mean, this is kind of the flip side of the 
of the, the kind of strengths of men and women in friendships are also their weaknesses and there are trade-offs here so when i spoke to a load of men and women um about friendships obviously the women would say they love loads of women i would say the majority of women i spoke to said that they actually prefer being friends with men and when i said why they would speak about all the things the psychologists were saying that were the weaknesses of men men's friendships like well you know it's all very simple everything's a joke all you do is play games you know if you have an argument you forget about it immediately so there's kind of there are strengths to that skill set and that temperament but then the flip side of that is that also we lack intimacy so all these things are trade-offs um but yes, it's because those those women would come and have the banter with their male friends but then when they need to have intimate conversations they've actually got female friends to go and do that with whereas men i suppose are in this camp where yes i've got access to these loose ties where we can banter and have jokes and do these activities and tasks together but if i have to have a serious conversation about something that's come up maybe i'm i'm getting divorced i'm losing my job or money worries whatever it is that you're maybe less inclined to have a conversation down the pub with your mates about or your your mates that are like relative yeah. acquaintances if we're gonna if we're gonna use that term that's where they are like devoid D do men often turn to females for these conversations or is that just a no-go um yeah they absolutely do i mean there's if you, if you look at the research um like you say women will disclose to women and men will disclose to to women and and not vice versa so and that's kind of another reason why i kind of thought like i i want to change my friendships was for myself obviously, but also thinking about, uh, I got to kind of take the pressure off my, my girlfriend, because I don't want her to be the only person that handles this. And, you know, everyone will know, if, you, if you're a bloke listening to this, there are some things you do not want to talk to your girlfriend, your wife about, right? You might be talking about her, right? Let's be honest, not necessarily slagging her off. But relationships are hard, long term relationships are hard. Sometimes you want to kind of get something off your chest or kind of reflect on it. And you can't have that conversation. So that kind of thing about in a long-term romantic relationship, there's a lot of loneliness as well. So you need that place. So you, you definitely do need a, a male audience for that sort of thing um, as well. One of the terms in society that's been demonized a lot in recent years, and probably rightly so, is, is man up. But I know you speak more about opening up rather than manning up. What are the differences between the two concepts? Um. I mean, so man up is what is whenever people say what why is masculinity toxic? It's it's this idea that uh, men spend all day telling each other to man up, and by man up we mean become behave more like a man from the past that's archetypically masculine. So it means you know show no emotion, be you know physically hard. Um, get on with it stop being so sissy basically stop being feminine man up right and um i think it's slightly cartoons how men actually speak to each other and it also uh, also like man up sometimes certain forms of masculinity have their place in certain contexts right if i'm <laughs> you know i'm on a, I'm, I'm in this crossfit group now and um, if, if I'm on the weekend, you do group classes. And if I'm sharing a workout with someone, it's really hard. I don't want that person just to cry off and leave it all on me. I'm like, come on, let's go. <laughs> me and you are sharing this. So come sometimes, you know, putting a grim face in it and just pushing through it absolutely has its place. That can be taken to huge extremes and becomes completely dysfunctional for a lot of men. And I, I'd, I'd rather no one really use the phrase man up, but I don't think it's some of these old qualities of old style masculinity are also valuable. So open up means I think you can have that stuff. So if you imagine it as tools in your toolbox, right? Sometimes old school masculinity is really useful for certain things, right? Um, you know, when you're on the front line of a war, you know, you can, some of those old school things, qualities, um, values are probably useful, but that's not suitable for every, every, problem you're trying to solve you might need a different tool if you're with a mate he's just been dumped he's you can tell he's in a bad place you're reading and you know you can see it in his eyes you don't want to go for old school masculine banter you actually go what is a better tool here it's to open up is to go do you know what when i was dumped and share share a story about yourself 
that's a that's a good tool there. So it's just another tool. Opening up Manning app is part of one big box we can use. When it comes to masculinity, I think there's many elements of it that are actually largely positive. Like some of the stoic elements can be very helpful if applied in the right situations, as you were saying there. Exercise yeah. is, 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 is definitely one of them. And being like strong and masculine and focused and reliable is very, very helpful for particular types of friendships as well. If somebody comes to you and expects you to be like almost a, a father or a brother figure, you being strong and supportive is very, very helpful. But I think uh, like a kind of positive element of masculinity is being forthright and able to like speak clearly and articulate yourself about what's going on. I think that's a kind of modern version of masculinity, in my opinion. And that might include telling your friend that you are really having a bad time at the moment. And this is why. So if you are having a positive expression of masculinity, it's not being afraid of judgment that, listen, mate, this has been really bad for me the last few weeks because of this, 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 and putting that out there to the world and not fearing judgment or um, like losing status through that. And I think if you are somebody that's confident in themselves as a man, you should be able to do that and articulate yourself. And the whole manning up, like you say, is a very old-fashioned view of masculinity that I don't think fits the, the environment in 2023. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all of that. And what's interesting is I think assertiveness in anyone is, a is often a really valuable quality and it's become gendered so that assertiveness can be seen as quite masculine and quite, inverted commas, toxically masculine. And it doesn't have to be. It can be assertive without being unpleasant. I would say that I think I've met a lot of men who are assertive with certain emotions and certain subjects. They're quite assertive when they're angry, for example. But we're not assertive, for example, when we're in a conflict with a friend. So, you know, when a friend is behaving maybe in a way that's you don't like either towards you personally or towards someone else often we'll kind of the kind of muddling along thing we're like look the other way and like i don't want to have an argument but being assertive like that is also really valuable and actually talk about emotional intelligence emotional intelligence is about how you handle all the emotions not just the kind of the kind of grubby ones where you're having to be super vulnerable it's about being able to articulate when you think something is wrong or when you've got this great hope and you're really excited like emotional intelligence is all these things. So this conversation is about men, emotion, opening up, however you want to kind of title it. I think we've got to think about it in a the real vast kind of number of options we have in terms of connecting with each other emotionally. Because when, when I think of a positive expression of masculinity, I think leadership, role model, supportive, clear, articulate, and that would involve being able to have those difficult conversations at times that you need to, whether that means that you need to be super empathetic and sympathetic or you need to be assertive and a little bit dominant to, to, to move forward. I think there's more benefits to that than if you were to be a shrinking violet and just avoid the conversation altogether. I don't think that's masculine in the slightest to shut up and, 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 and move away. I think that's quite a, quite, maybe quite a weak thing to do, to like turn away from a, a, a challenge. I don't, think that's, I don't think that's masculine. So to, to man up and, and put yourself into your, into your inner citadel and your, your little corner and hide away, I don't think that's a, a masculine thing to do at all. But maybe we've characterized that as masculine to just um, shut up and turn, turn the other cheek and, 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 mo and move forward. Yeah, um, I think you're right. I mean, I'm trying to think who I who I heard this theory from um, the other day. But if you can imagine a spectrum, and on the one end is status, and on the other end is connection. So it's a straight line. So far pole, one pole is status, another is connection. Different points of that line are going to be suitable for different times. So status, you know, status is about great big body language, deep voice talking with authority, owning the room, being assertive, talking quite a lot. Sometimes that's really appropriate. But confidence and masculinity can also be down to the connection end of the spectrum, which is much more about listening, about softening your tonality, about asking questions, about being curious, about sharing personal information. If you imagine that line, we can be masculine and go all the way down that kind of sliding scale and still do it with confidence and not lose masculinity absolutely what were some of the things that you took action on to improve your loneliness problem then max well um all sorts of things i mean just kind of, i kind of touched on it earlier but the, the first thing and the most kind of simple thing i did was i just had it on the dashboard of my life so i think a lot of things in life can be put down to accountancy problems so i'm self-employed right 
I've got a sp spreadsheet on this laptop here with all my income, all my expenses, that I can itemize it. But we measure all the things that we don't necessarily add up to a meaningful life. But all the things we do add up to a meaningful life we don't think about, right? So I thought, well, get it on the dashboard. I want to think about who are these friendships and then be very intentional in developing them. So, I mean, I looked at the list, I expanded it, and I thought, right, these people I'm going to pursue. You know, I hit the phones, WhatsApping, texting, can we meet up? Being the one who shows leadership. Um, I've got a, got a friend called Steve. He's got so many male friends. So I said to him, you know, what's your secret? And he says, well, my friends, they call me the Sherpa, right? Like those Nepalese soldiers that carry everything up to the summit, right, and the mountains. Because I organize everything, he said. But if I didn't organize everything, we'd never see each other. So that idea of being the Sherpa, being that one, carrying the metaphorical bags, sending the text, bringing the people together, so much of socializing is dependent on leadership. Talk about masculinity. You mentioned leadership. We often don't think of the social world of leadership. Be that one who shows leadership. It can be, you know, a thankless task. But if no one does it, it doesn't happen. But being that guy... That's a huge point, Max, because I, yeah. I can think about some of the people I'm friends with. There's particular group chats that I'm in where there's one person that just relentlessly puts themselves out there to try and bring the four or five, ten people, whoever many it is, together to do this particular event or this particular event, this dinner or this this trip that we're going to go on. And it is a little bit of a thankless task, as you say, but they show tremendous leadership to do that. And they're constantly putting themselves out there. And I love that term, Sherpa. Yeah, they definitely do. They, they, yeah. they heard everyone and drive them forward and, and drag them up the mountain if they needed. Yeah, but I, li I like you, I like your kind of analogy there and the, your example. Um, I, I, I kind of because it can be thankless, but you know, if you work in work in sales, right? You see not winning pitches or proposals not coming through. It's just part of the game. It's the cost of doing business. I think you've got to think. You can think about friendship in the same way. You want to get some freeloaders who never kind of return the favor. It's cost of doing social business. I think you're going to see it like that. And part of it, I think, being front-footed is about is about this thing with with guys. Is letting your mates know you like them. Now that's you know you know an original concept for men. What? <laughs> but I realised I had a I had a mate called called Ollie, and we'd known each other for twenty years. And I just thought he's definitely one of my most important friends. But I've got I've got no idea if he really likes me at all when i'm with him i can't really tell i don't think he knows i like him it's absurd right so i should why don't i just tell him so we went out and we had a you know a couple of beers and i went you know i'm doing this thing i've had to make a list and you know you're right at the top mate you are one of my best friends i just wanted to let you know you are important to me i think he's sort of like you know whenever a man gets a compliment it's sort of like you know, like short circuit and sort of parries it but it really soft. It was something that softened between us. It didn't become gooey and completely different, but it was confessed. Here's the thing about friendship, without getting too philosophical for you. It's a very ambiguous relationship, right? Because there's no, it's a very much an opt-in thing. There's no rules. There's no regulations. It's kind of quite uncodified and vague. So if we don't call it out, if we're not direct with our affection, people don't feel it and we don't know where we are. And why are we afraid to do this? Well, kind of here's an example of why. I spoke to, I sat next to someone at dinner the other day and he said he'd been best man to someone seven times. And I was like, that is mad, seven times. And he said, um, but for two of those guys, they weren't even my top 20 friends. And I was like, oof, for those guys, and that must be like, oh, but that's kind of not knowing where you're on the hierarchy. That's, you know, that's kind of the fear. What, we do, what if we go first and they don't reciprocate? So this, that is certainly a fear. But if you don't call it out. He did say yes, though, didn't he? So he saved them their blushes. Well, exactly. Yeah. And he was only telling me. But I kind of thought it was such a great example of how we never know where we are on the hierarchy with a bloke. But, you know, it's, it's incredible, though, Max, that yeah, because you hadn't verbalized to Ollie that you're probably one of my closest friends, we've spent so much time together, like, I like you, we get on well. It wasn't really, it wasn't as as formal a friendship as it could have been, which would have made it a lot easier to be like, oh, Ollie's like a really good friend of mine, he's told me before how, how well we get on, and he's said it, rather than just maybe voting with your feet and actions, because there's probably people that 
have friends that's almost an autopilot. And I think particularly in your early 20s, you maybe go to the same mm. pub that you went to when you were 18 all the way through till you're 25 every Friday, Saturday. You go to the same venues with the same group of people who maybe you actually don't have a friendship with and your soul bond is that they're available at the same time as me. And they also like to drink vodka mixes and buy a bag of cocaine if that's if, if that's what folks your if, if that's what folks your boat and you're just kind of on autopilot so those people of course never really verbalize that they they are friends but people who you spend time with across various different activities that you are really close to and you've just never said to them look you're one of my closest friends and i really value spending time with you and like you say men can sometimes shy away from that but i think and as a modern expression of masculinity you should be very confident to tell the people that you care about that you care about them yeah I th- yeah i agree i mean a friendship should feel like a friendship. So I, I say this in, in the book that, you know, men will often say, like, I tell you what, my mate Craig, I know he's going to be there in a crisis. Shit, it's the fan. He's going to be there 4 a.m. with a big, you know, a white van and a spade, like, <laughs> whatever it is. But, you know, friendship doesn't have to be the fourth emergency service. It doesn't have to be a crisis before we experience what it's like. Often it doesn't feel like a friendship when you're friends with a man. I, mean, I heard it expressed like this the other day. A guy said to me, I feel like my friends are in an orbit around me. And it's kind of right. They're kind of there, kind of invisible. They kind of rotate around occasionally. But I think we can call it out and be more direct. I mean, I, I was thinking something you were, you know, kind of riffing off what you were, something you were saying earlier. I think, well, you know, why should you call it out? I mean, I think almost it avoids the cognitive dissonance. If you say to someone and say to yourself, this is one of my best friends, this person is important to me you actually are more likely to behave in congruence with that, right? You are the sort of person who would do this. And I think by kind of calling it out, it's a very helpful way of almost policing yourself and getting yourself in that pattern of... Identity being- and language are, are massive, Max. And every time I mention Atomic Habits, the listeners shout down their airpods, oh, he said it again, but I absolutely love James Clear's Atomic Habits. And yeah. you, there is a lot to be said for if I use the terminology best friend and I then act in alignment with that particular language because that is what I've assigned uh, the, the identity as as well. Yeah. One of the pieces of work that you've been doing a lot recently, and you recently shared an article on LinkedIn around how much time we spend at work and whether men are more lonely at work now as well i think we spend about a third of our lives basically uh, at, at work and sometimes it feels like more than that as well but what have you discovered in that space yeah so the work stuff is is interesting um so so i wrote this article in the sunday times at the weekend as you said and it was based on a report by there's a parliamentary group that exists to try and solve loneliness in the uk the UK is not doing very well in most things. We are actually doing quite well at thinking about how to make people less lonely. We were the first country to have a minister for loneliness, for example. Um, and anyway, this report came out and it showed that one in 10 people describe themselves as often or always lonely at work. But if you're a manager, so like if you're the boss or a kind of level of boss, that rises to something like 35, 36%. So you're you know three, four times more likely to be lonely often all the time also pretty bad for young people up to about the age of 30 because they want to socialize and everyone's not in the office anymore but really kind of friendships at work are hard and what was interesting in the report is that people who worked from home were not more lonely than the people who worked in the office people who worked part-time were not more lonely than people who worked full-time people who worked in a team were not less lonely than people who worked alone which is kind of this weird paradox. The more time you spend with someone has no effect on how lonely you are at work. Why is that? Because our relationships at work are not good. They are like some 25% of people asked said their colleagues are like strangers to them. And it's a really difficult relationship, a friendship at work, because it's it's pretty bizarre. And I can tell you why I think it's bizarre in a minute. But like you said yourself, a third of our life at work. If you're lonely at work, you're lonely in your life. It's just such a, a great way of improving your day-to-day well-being. Um, so like the, the kind of the friendships at work thing kind of touches on what we talked about men, actually, for this reason. So Aristotle, who's a, obviously an ancient Greek philosopher, I'm not going to get too boring, I promise you. But he said, why are our friendships at work so shit? He didn't use the word shit, but I think he could have done. But he said it's because fundamentally they're based around utility. We're friends because we're useful to one another. All we share, all we've got in common really 
is we share a task, we share a context. If you bump into someone outside of work, everyone's like, oh my God, what on earth am I going to say to Kev? Right, Jesus Christ, we've got nothing in common. And, and beyond that, but better friendships is something that transcends that utility. And it's true for blokes as well, right? You mentioned people you hang out with to do stuff. If you didn't do that stuff, what would you have? Yeah, it's a, it's, it, it's a huge point and a huge consideration. And I was very interested when you shared the stats around the fact that remote working didn't necessarily mean that you were lonely and somebody worked in the office. And albeit you caveated with younger people, below 30, if they were working in the office, they would maybe build stronger ties through going out after work together and doing things outside of the task that you were doing between nine till five, which I think is the vital point here. Yeah. And I am pretty much entirely remote based going out to see clients across the UK. We have an office in Manchester, an office in London, and there once every two to three weeks. But I moved to this company because one of my first bosses who I got on very well with became MD of this company. And one of my close friends did the role for the South of the UK that I do for the North of the UK. So although he lives in Cheltenham, he's very good friends with me. So I'm not lonely at work at all because the big boss is somebody who knows me well and the person I work with every day and we grow, we manage our, our, our a particular division of the company together is a close friend of mine who I'm actually a groomsman for later this year. So, oh, wow. so there's a lot to be said for the depth of connection is um, very important, albeit it's a small number. I'm not only at work because I speak to him a lot, obviously about work, but of course we, we, we speak socially outside of that as well. And that's not affected by the fact that we were hundreds of miles um, uh apart and albeit men don't do as well with over the phone and whatsapp as as, as women do i think there is still an element of keeping connection because you're having teams calls or zoom calls all the time yeah, yeah. yeah um well that's great you've got that and i think it's obviously pretty rare i mean the fact that you're you know groomsman is kind of a sign that your relationship transcends work you you if you leave this role you're still going to be friends yeah how many people i mean it's kind of it happens you see it all the time and i used to work in an office quite a long time ago now but you know someone would leave the office a card would go around everyone would sign it they get given a plant everyone would come around in the kitchen have prosecco with them don't be a stranger mate oh god you're fantastic you know a week pass and they're like who was that guy like it just it just goes and it's um it's it's sad because if you if you talk to someone all the time and you know nothing about them and vice versa you're going to be lonely it's true in all sorts of relationships. Do you think to improve and make more friends at work, we just need to ask more questions about what they do outside of that and try and find common interests and common grounds? Because if, if I give this example again, we're both into golf, we're both into football. We, we, we both train together lots. When I was away with, with work in different cities, I would get them into different gyms that we would go to. And so you built common interests away from the fact that we were selling contracts to student accommodation providers. Yeah, well, you've kind of nailed it. I think it's, there's two big things. One thing is when you're talking, are you talking about things beyond the task, beyond the context, revealing a bit about yourself? So finding these commonalities that are just fundamental human commonalities, that kind of vulnerability word again, but also can you shift the relationship to another context? So, you know, you working out together, um, playing golf together, you're, you're, you're hanging out outside of the context of work. A lot of people just don't do that. So if you can, I've tried to do it myself. Like last Wednesday, I had a curry with um, someone I used to work with and we now hang out beyond anything to do. We, but I don't think we spoke about work. So shifting the context is is really important to improving um, workplace relationships, absolutely. Yeah, I wonder if companies can be pro more proactive to do that. But of course, if they started to force it, then maybe we would resent it. And I definitely noticed that, last year which was the kind of first lot of christmas parties post covid albeit there were still a lot of people that got covid after the after the party that we were at it was well attended but the one that i went to in uh, december 22 was much lower attended i don't know why maybe people were just like back to being like i'm not that fast about going to to work engagements again so i mean this is maybe connecting to that like i said there was a third thing like a third theory and one is around friendships have bloody seen bloody hard work now like there's a lot less of it feels a lot not just because of our age and getting a bit older but just the world seems never been more connected but never been harder to connect um and like an opportunity to hang out at work as an example of that i mean covid you know took a lot away there's two things we need to have more opportunities to socialize with one another 
The second thing is we need to take them. So when you're invited to a party, you're going to show up. Or, you know, when, you know, your gym's having a social, can you go to that? Are you going to do the group workouts or just go and do your, you know, your thing by yourself every day? Like we've got a it's supply and demand. We've got to demand more and step forward, but also society can do better in supplying social opportunities, I think. Agreed. And again, I'll share a little bit more, Max. I'm not a big drinker at all. I pretty much do like maybe six to eight months sober every single year. And then I'll pick two or three occasions I want to drink for. Sometimes I'll go for longer than that. Sometimes I'll drink more often than that, depending on what, what comes up in the diary. But a lot of occasions, particularly as blokes, we we base them around alcohol sometimes. And that can make it quite difficult if you choose to opt out of that sort of thing. So when I've encouraged people to have a conscious break from alcohol and, and choose to maybe focus on different tasks, whether that's growing a side project or, 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 or really progressing the career or progressing the physique, for example, it's making sure that you still have social touch points with your friends. So I can still go to the football at three o'clock on a Saturday, but I'm just not having three pints. I'm driving the car and I'll give you a lift home. So don't worry, we're still we're we're still having that social interaction. So not excluding yourself. If you do start to maybe change some of your behaviors around your routines and habits and events, you can still enjoy yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? And you talk about booze and it makes me think about peer pressure. And I mean, C.S. Lewis writes a lot about this. He's kind of a novelist, wrote a great book about friendship. And, and about the Chronicles of Narnia, did he not? <laughs> yes, he did. That was his other one. Uh, yeah, he, he, wrote, he wrote, obviously wrote that. Um, and James Clear has spoken about a similar thing. And what I'm referring to is this idea that our social group is hugely influential in both positive and negative ways. It can be the most creative thing in your life. It can instill in you amazing habits, amazing ideas, share amazing projects. But if those people are not positive, it can also do the opposite to you. It can really make you, you know, depressed, unhealthy, evil on the most extreme end of the scale. So we do need to think about, I think it's interesting when friendship and personal professional development collide and interact so much we get in so much of our friendships what we have in common what is just the habit of being friends and then when you change the habit you realize oh yeah there's not much else here so i would say it's all right you're gonna think it's a bit bizarre this book's talking about having no mates you're saying drop friends it's all right in your life that friendships don't have to be forever they can end and still be really valuable so i'm going to name another philosopher here and sound like a bit of a prick a guy called Nietzsche wrote about what he called star friendships. So a star friendship can be a friendship that ends and it's like they exist like in the night sky like a star. They're miles away. You still kind of feel their light. You can look up and go, oh, I remember being friends with them. But kind of, it can still be beautiful and meaningful, but it's finished. And I think that's maybe important to think about. If you want to have great relationships, sometimes you need to make space for new ones and think about what relationships are not kind of working for you now we're transient beings as well and we're always evolving and changing and sometimes your your goals and things might change even your your physical location might change so of course you can't have as deep a friendship with the friend that when you were living in that particular town at primary school and then you moved to wherever it was for university you're not going to have the same level of depth of connection but max I've, I've had such fun and one of the last questions i want to ask you before i ask where people can find you is how did you end up solving the the best man problem well i mean I spent ages working on my friendships in all these different kind of ways we've discussed and, and many, many more. And I realized, well, I think I've solved my problem. I've got, I've got a good shortlist of blokes here I could have as best man. I thought, right, I'm ready to do it. I'm going to propose. I'm going to get married. So I went and proposed. She said, yes, thank goodness. Imagine if she said no. What a waste of time. <laughs> and then um, I thought, right, well, who am I going to have as best man? And in the end, I thought, who are the two most important friendships in my life? And the honest answer was, it was the two women that I took with me to that jeweler in Hatton Garden way back in the beginning. And I thought, screw tradition. I'm just going to do what I think is right. And I had groomsmen, three male groomsmen, two best women. And it was all great. And it's because this whole thing that we've spoken about, friendship is a, was a door into a much bigger conversation, a way of looking at myself. I think what a lot of men have connected to my book with is like these conversations around masculinity, 
which can feel a bit alienating and a bit woolly. When you think about it through the prism of our relationships and our friendships, I was like, I get it. And I had to change who I was a bit. And that for me was the whole point. And to have a best man, that was great too. But really, it didn't have to be a guy at the end of the day. It wasn't the most important thing as well. It was just a kind of trigger event for you to start to discover how important this was and to thankfully put pen to paper and, and, and share that as well. So if people want to continue the conversation, Max, where should they head towards? Yeah, so I'm uh, at maxdickins.com. D-I-C-K-I-N-S uh, is the name. I'll spell it because everyone spells it. P-N-S. And I'm on Twitter as well, at Max Dickens. Um, and and follow me, say hello, because I often put articles and different things up you might find helpful or interesting uh the book's called billy nomates and that's out hopefully in every single shop in the world (laughs) yes all of them it'll be linked in the show notes anyway max thank you so much for joining me and thank you to you the listener and i'll be back to speak to you all again very very 